Blog Talk Radio. We are African, and we happen to be in America. Everybody talks crazy when it comes to race. You black people talk real crazy. Yeah. Oh my Indian grandmother, fuck you and your Indian grandmother. <laughs> Always leaving Africa out the picture. Because that's a negative to you, when it should be positive. The Hawaiians with Samoan, they are some more black people. The Filipinos, Negritos, and you black people from the island, you think that you're better than us. Because they dropped you off first. My favorite astrophysicist, please welcome Neil deGrasse Tyson. How many people know the exploration of Africa by Europeans? All they could see is that everybody had the same skin color, because they saw skin color. They weren't seeing other elements of genetic diversity, of genetic expression, other things that could be encoded within, within a group. All evidence shows that life began in Africa. The greatest genetic diversity of the human species to be expressed in Africa. Because it all began there. Forget skin color. Forget it. I'm talking about other features you can measure about people. If you have the greatest genetic diversity, where would you find the tallest person in the world? Where would you find the shortest person in the world? Where would you find the fastest person in the world? If you wanted to find the dumbest person in the world... would be in Africa. And in fact, there is a project called the Africa Einstein Project. And they are looking for the next Einstein. In Africa. Because that's where you're going to find the smartest person there ever was. We are African. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. When it should be the positive. Power to the people, power to the people, all power to the people. Now, in case y'all didn't know that, that was astrophysicist Neil Tyson telling y'all as it is. An astrophysicist having to tell us black people that diversity, hands down, is in Africa. The most intelligent, the most brilliant in all forms. So just want y'all to soak on that throughout the whole, the rest of the show. And uh, it was our time to 48 brother, Brother E that drop that knowledge on y'all. Today's show here, People Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, our national chairman is Yanga Nkrumah, National Director of Operations, Sister Seven Khadija. I'm the National Chief of Staff, Brother War. And as always with the uh, Panther 48, we got Brother E and we got Brother Syke that will be leading the discussion and ushering us in with diversity in terms of thought, diversity in terms of action, movement, and intelligence. So, yes, if you want to call into today's show, you can call in by dialing 323-870-4191, and then you can press 1 and be placed into the queue. And I just announced that number in case we have those who are listening in 
from the internet and they wanted to actually join us live on the broadcast. Again, that number is 323-870-4191. Press 1 if you want to be into the queue to get opportunity to speak and add to the discussion. And what we're going to do today is we're picking up sort of from our last Panther 48 show and dealing with the revolutionary community. Today, though, we're going to talk about and we're going to add to the foundation of that by going into the Nguzu Saba as a process for revolution slash evolution. And today, Brother E is going to lead us into discussion on Nguzu Saba. Brother E, take us in. Yep. All right. Appreciate it, bro. Uh, greetings to everybody. Um, I'm not one for long introductions or anything, so pretty much just jump right in and start going. Um, and I'm going, there's a lot of information that I want to get across, so I'm going to try to take my time and drill down as we go into the Nguzo Saba, um, which are the seven principles of blackness that are, um, quote, unquote, celebrated during the time of Kwanzaa um, as, as uh, given to us by Maulana Karanga. Um, as I said, there, there's seven principles. Uh, and he, when he put this holiday together, Kwanzaa, he put them, he, 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 he gave us these principles. And again, I'm saying gave, he didn't create, he extracted them from our experience through his studies uh, as seven principles that were um, kind of binding principles down through our cultural heritage, down through our history uh, that, that have uh, kept us, connected to one another over the eons and across geographical boundaries. And he gave us these principles or pointed these principles out in an order that made sense to him. Uh, over the years, as, my, as uh, a participant in the New Black Panther Party in Dallas, Texas, uh, as the Minister of Information, it was my responsibility to to give classes, to teach classes, to expose the party to information that I was aware of that was conducive to what it was we were working on building. And during that, it became clear to me at some point, in my discussions with War, Psych, and, and other cats, that the process that we talk about a lot or a process, the idea of a process, wasn't really manifest in the way, to me, in the way that the principles were given to us, in the way that the principles were acknowledged and celebrated. So we took it upon ourselves to reconstruct the order of the principles, not to take away from the principles, but rather to put them in some type of step-by-step -step so that rather than being a principle here, a principle there, being something more akin to a ladder or uh, an outline that someone could use to walk through the process step by step, making it tangible, making it something less up in the clouds and ambiguous and more, uh, uh, more uh, conducive to an individual's development, uh, both on a personal as well as a community basis. Um, and I'm I'm gonna shoot all of the principles by you real quick. Just the the uh, the, the Swahili, which by the word, by the way, Kwanzaa and the names of the principles are Swahili. 
So I'm going to give you the Swahili as well as the English, um, and then we'll start kind of going in and, and breaking down and, and drilling into each one. Um, so the principles are, and this is in the order that we put together. This is in the order that uh, the process that we're working toward um, self-development with. So the first one is Imani, which is faith. Nia, which is purpose. Kuumba, creativity. Um, Kujijagulia, self-determination. Ujima, which is uh, collective work and responsibility. Ujima, um, cooperative economics. And uh, Umoja, which is unity. Um, and again, I'm going to go through these one at a time, some examples, have some dialogue. Um, so if there's anything that comes up that you want, that any of the listeners would like to chime in on, we absolutely welcome that. We just ask that if we're talking about Imani, that's the principle that we're on, we only ask that if you chime in that your comments are in regards to Imani. Now, I don't know if you know it, know it or not, but black folk have a bad habit of starting to talk and just kind of wandering off and, and going off into the stratosphere and talking about this, that, and the other. So what we're wanting to do is to maintain that ideal process in a uniform manner, you know, uh, step by step. So please, if, you, if I say something you think is thrown off, you say if you hear something that you agree with, whatever, whatever it is, just go ahead Hit that, that, that number on your, on your keypad, and um, we'll get, you know, once we sum up what the, the principle is and, and all of that, we'll ask any comments or whatnot. You can come in, say what you want to say. We can have a little dialogue about it, and then we'll move on to the next, uh, next uh, principle. So, kawaida. Um, kawaida is a Swahili word that means tradition. Um, the idea behind Kawaida is that practice proves and makes possible everything. And we want to understand um, the seven principles in the context of us being self-asserted in the world, and we'll understand more what that means as we go forward. But African people, believe it or not, despite what we want to say and how many uh, billionaires we got and this, that, and the other, African people, black people in this country are not self-asserted at all. Uh, not Obama, not Jay-Z, none of us. Um, so we want to kind of develop an understanding of what exactly self-assertion is, uh, including self-determination. Um, and about to jump into the first principle, but a quick note, all of these are nonlinear, meaning we're going to go through them step by step, but that may or may not be, probably won't be how an individual develops. We may start off with Imani, go through Kujijagalia, go down to, to Nia, and then jump back to Imani. So it's going to be more in tune with our Africanness that our experience with these different principles is going to jump around. But what we are wanting to do is provide, again, this outline so that we have something to cling to, something to look at, so that when we lose our way, so that we stuck, when we stutter step and we, you know, go do something or something's in question, should I do this or that, we have something to fall back on to look at and help us get back on track. 
So again, um, you may be familiar with one, not the next one, but you're familiar with the, the next one, and it kicks you back to the first one. But you'll kind of see what I'm saying as we go along. It's kind of an individual reality. Um, if you break down the word individual, I-N, um, uh, being a prefix, D-I-V-I being the root, and then dual being uh, a suffix, um, N is not, D-I-V-I is divisible, and dual is duality, so an indivisible duality. Uh, so you have the individual whose experience is not individual. Um, but anyway, Imani, faith. Faith is not the belief without proof but trust without reservation. Webster's uh, definition, and, and all the definitions that I'm going to come with tonight are going to be from Merriam-Webster's dictionary online. The first definition of faith in the dictionary is allegiance to duty or a person. When we talk about faith in this context, we're not talking about belief without evidence. We're not talking about going to church, I have the faith. We're not talking about when we hear so often, especially in the black community, is just having faith that something's going to happen. That's not what we're talking about. The reality of it is, it's very much about proof. All of us, every one of us have uh, an experience. We have this, this idea that, or this, this picture in our head of a nigga. Malcolm talked about it best. House nigga, field nigga, whether it's Pookie down with CMB getting his, his, his crack fix or whether it's Obama. We all, all of us, because of our conditioning, because of our experience, because the only thing we've ever really known about black folks is nigga, period. And that's something that we have to fight throughout our existence. I've heard the question posed over the years time and time again, um, will we ever get white folks out of our head? Another way to put it is will we ever get the nigga out of our head? And the reason I can say this is because everything that's done to us, for us, about us, around us, in this society is an attempt to rob us of our humanity. So even having a black president gives us no real confidence in black people because white folks can take all of the credit for Obama having been president in this country. He was molded, shaped, guided by them. He worked for them. He was paid by them. He was a house nigger. He was a nigger. And this is our experience. Very few of us have come up through childhood, through our adult uh, life with experience and exposure to the strongest African persona. You know, there are some of us who have, you know, been made aware of the Panther Party or Malcolm or Shaka Zulu or some somebody along the way, but that's not been the overwhelming experience of African people in this country at all. It's the most consistent, all the time, day and night, idea that we've been fed about black people has been negative. Movies, 
TV, music, the news, the cats on the street doing dirt, that chick that did you dirty, nigga shit, all of it. And that's been our that's been our, our experience, that's been our, our, our what is the word, um, we've had that idea um, played over to us over and over and over again throughout our lifetime. There's not uh, an aspect of, of our experience that you can't, that involves black people, that you can't find a negative uh, a slant, that you can't find some type of non-African presence involved. And as long as that non-African presence is there, it makes it not our experience. What Brother Malcolm was talking about when he was talking, saying, you know, you change your, your thought process. The way that we start changing our thought process is to change the information that we've been made aware of, you know, who we are, what we are, when and why. You know, what you're thinking is what you're becoming. So if our experiences are constantly these negative, no matter how shiny they are, no matter how pretty or bling-blingy they are, negative experiences, these negative experiences with black folks throughout, and again, not taking away from um, uh, 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 the, the, the one or two positives that come through our lives and show up. And, yeah, we can look back and say, oh, yeah, this is a positive experience, but overall, your day in and day out, that's going to be the most significant because it's playing to your subconscious, and your subconscious makes good 95% of your, your decisions throughout your life. Most of what we decide is based on our subconscious and not our conscious thoughts. So the first step in developing faith or loyalty to, because the reality of it is no one can be blamed for not having a loyalty, an alliance, an allegiance to niggas, to niggerdom, to the nigger nation. So the first thing that we have to do is to begin to build a new database. If we want a different output, the first thing we have to do is to look at what information, what data is going into that system. So repositioning our minds, refilling our minds, rebrainwashing ourselves with these characters and with these ideas and with these philosophies that come from our tradition allows us to begin developing a sense of loyalty to something greater than what we saw on the street corner or in the White House or anywhere else in our own personal experience. Um, so I see it's 6192. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open up uh, for uh, any comments on, on the first principle, uh, Imani, faith, uh, 6129. You there? Hello? Yes, what? Can, can you hear me? Uh, this is the one. Can Hello? you hear me? Are you talking to me? Yes, 6129. Did you want to say something? Yes, sir. Um, this is Devon. Thanks for having me on, boss. Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to say, like, the, the faith, um, understanding that we do have we do have a, a power and recognizing that recognizing that we as individuals have a power we should um come together instead of be against each other in a lot of the forms that we are in order to make the difference that we can make. Definitely. 
Yeah, and and that's what we're hoping to affect. That's what we're wanting to affect is that ability for us to end up in a unified state, for us as a people to no longer Mm -hmm. be going in our own direction. That's one of the problems with individuality, this idea that I got to get mine, I am just me. It's as if uh, that's a stronger African concept, but we don't recognize when someone's stabbing us in our hand because we don't realize that that's our hand. So we don't mm-hmm. realize that when somebody down the street, you know, is getting, I heard the sirens in the background, you're calling um, somebody down the street, like like Malcolm used to say, we don't catch hell because we are, we're Muslim. We don't catch hell because we're Republican or Democrat or, or blood or Crips. We catch hell. All of us catch hell for the same reason. And as we begin to study and, and, and give ourselves these, these uh, um, more African-centered, more positive, more developmental uh, uh, role models and, and ideas, the more we're able to build a loyalty, not a blind faith that the church and some other institutions would have you have, but, yeah. uh, 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 but some actual, factual, okay, I have loyalty to you. You have loyalty to the people you call your friends or your family. Why? Because yeah. you have experience with them. You have loyalty to those that are around you that are close to you because they had your back, because you grew up together, because da 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 We don't have More those so examples. Like understanding that you have the power to, to make something happen with those folks. That's why you have that faith in them. Right, exactly. And so that's what we want to do. And especially at this, this early stage, our reading, you know, people always talk about you know, what can I do or, you know, what the black community needs to do, this or that, when in reality mm-hmm. – it's not about what the black community can do. It's about what you can do because I am the black community. And if I sit down and begin reading, you know, Chancellor Williams or Sheikh Anthony Diop or some of these other scholars, John Henry Clark, and start mm-hmm. developing a different perspective on me and black people in general, then I begin to develop a, a loyalty to because I see what it is we've been through. And I better understand that that, that, that crackhead over there is a victim of this man, mm-hmm. not a victim in the sense, not a victim in the sense that uh, she or he are, are, are helpless and can't do anything for themselves. That's what they want. That's the nigger mentality. But a victim in the sense that this is a great, great person from a great, great tradition, the same tradition mm-hmm. that I'm from, temporarily, temporarily being victimized by a system who does not want that individual to recognize that power that comes from recognizing the interchangeability, the interconnectedness of uh, 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 the individual self with the communal self. So when we start seeing the community in a different light, we begin thinking, okay, I don't know, I'm certain a lot of people are familiar with the, um, the experiment with the, 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 the doll. The, they set the little uh, black girl down. They've done this several times. Every few decades, they'll do it, I guess, just to get some grant money and say, yeah, things are still messed up. But they'll have the, the sister sit down, and they'll give her two dolls, and uh, a black mm-hmm. doll and a white doll, and ask her which oh, one yeah. she wants to play with. And time and again, she'll choose the white doll. And when they ask her, why don't you want to play with the black doll? Because the black doll, she'll say, is ugly. Because the black doll is, is nasty. Because the black doll is not what she is looking to be. And that's just... Right. That, to, 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 to counter that, to get away from that, to maneuver ourselves back to a position, who wants to be loyal to something that's ugly, that's dirty, 
to get away from that. Yeah, we just got to push the rhetoric. The rhetoric, as well as the, the actual information beyond the rhetoric that goes into to computing this, or to, to programming this mind computer of our people, and even as adults, recomputing, reprogramming what it is we've been taught to see. We'll get to a point where we start studying and seeing the Bible not as a religious document, but a historical document that tells stories and myths Mm -hmm. from our experience. There's a place called the Shrine of the Black Madonna. Um, It's a a church, but they they have several uh, uh, campuses throughout the country. And when you walk in, uh, you, 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 you see pictures of Jesus. But he's black. Mm-hmm. You see pictures of, uh, of Mary and Joseph, but they're black. Instead of seeing a cross where they right. died, you see an aunt that represents life. So we start filling ourselves with these different perspectives on who we are. The only way that happens mm-hmm. is for us to transcend just seeing what's at our fingertips and looking beyond that and studying and reading and listening and hearing. So that's, that's our first step is developing that loyalty through our studies. And again, not 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 faith in the sense of the church. That's dangerous. That's that's what they do. That's what they use. Whatever the religion is, don't care what religion. Right. I heard uh, a cat back in Texas back in the day define religion as man's attempt to discipline God. So not mm-hmm. only is it an attempt to discipline God, but it's an attempt to discipline and control the masses. And that's what we have to get away from. Whatever it is. Faith that we're talking about is loyalty, the first definition, loyalty, confidence. You can't have confidence in something that's broken. So looking at something that's healed and repaired is what we want to start gearing our minds for. Um, Brother Sight, Brother Ward, did y'all want to chime in or anything on this before I move on to the next? Hey, this uh, this Ward, I think he made the point. Uh, Y'all both talking at the same time. Sight. Now, I was saying, I think uh, you made the point uh, perfectly clear, so I didn't really have anything to add to that. I was going to go on and let Brother Wall uh, take a stab at it. All right, I jump in. I do want to recognize real quick, uh, Brother Devon is actually up, Brother Orr, when I was up, when our members out in, uh, in San Diego. So he's one of our black okay. town brothers out nice. here in San Diego. Cool. Very nice. Um well, let me get in here a little bit as uh, to me when I think about faith as it applies to, to the knowledge of inner search for self-identity. And I want to stress that the whole, whole point is inner search, kind of like Brody was saying, uh, is, which is, you know, knowing trignology, knowing deception. It is the opposite in terms of what they pr- promote and project uh, through, through religion because they get you to look outward. So from that standpoint, dealing with the inner search for self-identity, and also, as you mentioned, the dealing with the the knowing of who, what, when, where, why, and I would even go further and say what's for and for what cause is to add to the in-depthness of that so that you're on a path of dealing with inner searching and making sure that, you know, from that standpoint as it applies to faith, you know, going into the three Ds that we deal with, we have to redefine uh, from a power perspective, what faith means to us and how that applies. So faith, from that perspective, is the inner search. And I believe in, to, in dealing with also the parameters 
to define a condition and how it applies to our conditional and non-conditional relationships with, with ourselves. And it's, it's important to look at things inward as we deal with faith and redefining faith. Therefore, when we are able to go within ourselves, we can really truly see the difference between how we are being manipulated and tricked as a people opposed to dealing with the empowerment and, and our greatness as, as Africans, you know, just like how our intro was getting into that. So the faith goes into who we are and what we always have been and the greatness as it applies to that. And so we have lost sight of that in terms of being, you know, being domesticated and being slaughtered and being, you know, mentally abused and beat down as well as obviously physically through the, 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 through the uh, mafia. So our faith has to be restored. And that restoring and restoring in that faith goes right back to the fact that while we're going into these whole principles in the first place is we have to restore and return to the greatness, you know, through the Sankofa, return to the greatness that we must be. So faith is the opposite of what most people have related it to. And rest in power, Brother Nipsey Hussle was coined and saying, trust the process. So we have to go back to that. We trust the process. And that, and that process is dealing with the power and the, and the possibility of what we are as a people. And as an author I like to refer back to as well, one of many authors have written books that dedicate dealing with personal power and, and you know, what your potential is. Dr. Joe um, Dispenza, who wrote a book called Supernatural. And in that book, he basically talked about how common people are doing uncommon great, great feats. And that book goes into tapping into the, the elements of who we are through our faith in ourselves and our faith in our abilities and our faith in our courage, strength, dexterity, everything that we can be. And, and it first starts with, from that standpoint, it, 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 it goes into, as well as others, go into believing in yourself, believing in your potential, knowing that you are great, knowing that you have, you know, the abilities already within you. Because if you're soul searching outside of yourself, then you're going down a path of basically being a self-defeated people, a self-defeated being or a self-defeated person. So that faith must be restored in who we are and the inner self. And that's all I'll have to add on that one. Well, let, let, me, uh, let, me, let me add something before we move on uh, to deal with faith <clears throat> because uh, – I'm going to use this story. It's a story from the Quran. And uh, in the story, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but in the story, you know, Moses, he's learning, and he's learning the knowledge that he needs to, that he needs to know in order to perform the mission that the Creator gave him. And when he finally learns the things in which he needs to know, he tells God, he tells Allah in the Quran that uh, now I need somebody higher knowledge. And, and God tells Moses, you know, he gives him he gives him a duty. He essentially tells him to go find this guy called Al Qadir, which means the green one. I'm not going to go into the long detailed story because the story in itself is highly metaphorical and there's a lot of lessons in it. But anyway, when he finally finds Al Qadir, when he finally finds the green one, that the one who had the hiding knowledge that Moses needed, he go to Al Qadir and he said, you know, teach me some of the things of which you know which I don't know. And Al-Qadir told him, you won't have patience with me. And then he told him, surely I will. I, you know, I'll I, I do it. I'll listen. He said, okay. 
If you come with me, he said, you do what I tell you to do. Don't ask no questions and just learn. Moses said, okay, I'll do it. I got you. So, you know, they, they went to, uh, they went to uh, a place where they saw a wall. And the guy, Al-Qadir, he knocked the wall down. And the wall was like a dam to keep the city from flooding. So Moses like, yeah, you supposed to be a good man. Why would you knock that wall down for, for these people's city can flood? Al-Qadir told him, I told you. I told you, don't be asking me no questions. And so Moses said, okay, my bad, my bad. Give me another chance. So then they went and they saw a canoe. And Al-Qadir sunk the canoe. And there was a canoe that people used to fish with. And he said, now why you, why you sink these people's boat? You know, they needed to get their fish. He said, there you go. I told you. He said, all right, my bad, my bad. Just give me one more chance. I promise if I do it again, I'll go on my way. And then so Al-Qadir, they ran across this, big, this guy. And Al-Qadir killed the guy. And then Moses said, oh, no, you can't be a righteous man. I told you. He said, I told you. I told you not to ask me any more questions. But you don't have, I told you you wouldn't have patience with me anyway. The point of the story, Al-Qadir explained why he did all the acts that he did. And then when he explained them to Moses, it made sense. But like the son, the son was an evil and corrupt son whose parents were very righteous people, and the son would bring great uh, uh, stress to, to these people's lives. So he eliminated the sun on a boat. The boat had a small hole in it that they didn't know. So if they would have got out in the water, people would have drowned. So he destroyed the boat. And the wall, there was a treasure hidden under the wall that they had never found as long as they used, as long as they had the wall. But since the wall had been destroyed, they had to dig a new foundation for it, and they, they were able to find the treasure. So he explained the reasons for it. And I'm getting to the point is this is that Al-Qadir told Moses, you wouldn't have patience with me. He said, but how could you have patience with me when it comes to things in which you do not understand? And, and you probably wondering, how does this apply to faith? Well, in the, in the uh, Kwanzaa, in the Nguzi Sabi, it says that faith is also having faith in our legitimate leaders and our teachers and every person or everything, even in ourselves, that will lead us and guide us toward our freedom. And at times you will meet leaders, you will meet teachers, you will meet warriors, you will meet gods that will have experiences and knowledge that you don't have. And there is no way that you can understand what they're trying to give you at that particular time because your understanding has not been developed to that degree. So you have to have faith, not only in the legitimacy of this struggle, but you have to have faith in the process that the person that, that is wiser than you at that point of time has went through and understand that it's refined their understanding. Sometimes it, 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 we can see this story, the same Alcadir story, all throughout culture. Look at the karate kid. Daniel's son didn't know he was learning karate when he was waxing on and waxing off, but you had to have faith in order to follow the instructions of the master teacher. He didn't know that what he was learning. He didn't know that what was happening. Or in the story uh, of Star Wars, when, when, uh, when uh, Yoda tries to tell them do not train the young Darth Vader, the young Anakin Skywalker. He tells them don't train him. He has too much doubt. But they did it anyway. And when he became an adult, he became Darth Vader and killed the whole Jedi Order. But, but my, I, my concept is sometimes you have to have faith in those legitimate leaders and those legitimate teachers. And I use the word legitimate in the opposite of, of how society would use legitimate. I use legitimate in, in understanding historically how true and legitimate leaders operated and then comparing the leader right now today to that and asking yourself, is he moving, is he or she moving or operating like this person? 
Do they move and operate? If you love, if you love and respect Jesus' leadership, do they operate like this dude? Are they in the streets with the people? Are they out there feeding the people? Are they out there teaching the people? You know, this dude said, I have nowhere to lay my head, but I'm out here teaching and feeding the people every single day. So you ask yourself, can I compare them to this guy? Or do they operate like Malcolm? These are the questions I think a person has to ask. And more importantly is to have faith and confidence in yourself because, and, and, and this kind of goes to a certain degree against what he said a little earlier, and, and I'm the last proponent of anything spooky. I want that understood. But you can't see when J.C. was sitting in the Morsi Projects, he did not see himself becoming a billionaire. He, didn't, he probably couldn't see that. All he saw it, but it wasn't real. It hadn't become manifested yet. But in his own mind, he saw it. And he had to operate a move of what he could only see in his mind. And I'm pretty sure there were people saying, nigga, you crazy. You're not going to rap and riddle out of this ghetto. You crazy. But he had to have that confidence, that faith in self in order to keep moving and operating on the level that he was moving and operating on. I'm pretty sure that there's always those naysayers that are always trying to put you down, but you have to see it. And, and, and he, Jay-Z said it in a, in a rap lyric years ago. He said, keen senses. Ever since I was a teen on the benches, meaning that he saw this, even when he was a little kid hustling crack on the benches in the Marcy Project. So this is just my input and my ideas on faith. And I'm going to turn it back over to Brother Eden. But to directly counter so what you were you're, you're, you're alluding to, something spooky and whatnot, is the de- difference between the words real and realized. What he saw when he was sitting on the benches was real because it existed in his mind. And that's a whole other attractive conversation to go into is that what is in your mind is very real, that it exists. It may squarely exist only in your mind, but it exists nonetheless. It may not have been realized or materialized. Eyes mean, meaning basically, I-Z-E, basically meaning uh, uh, to, to, to make or to create or to, to manifest or uh, to, uh, uh, to realize is to make it real. So uh, realize is just the, the, the coming to fruition on the external of something that was already real. If it's never real, it can never be real. There's no process to go from what ain't real to what is real. <laughs> is real. True, but, true indeed. But, and, I can, and, so, I can, and I can go with you on that. And that's where that inner faith comes in. Because but if that's you don't not, realize that and know that, and accept that inside yourself, you'll believe somebody else telling you because they can't see it is not real. But, but as that's you just confidence. said, that, that that's, in that that's mind a, is that seed. No doubt. But that's, that's, that's the confidence and the loyalty to oneself, not the spookism exactly. of, of faith, uh, of, of belief without evidence. If I have it real in my head and it's constantly in my head and I'm, I'm clinging to it, that's real and that, that's evidence. To, 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 to make, to have me uh, have loyalty to that. So that's, that's separate and actually more in what, what I'm talking about with this information we're doing, the studies and the reading and the dialogue and all, to create that real so that it can be realized. Whereas the spookism of, of, of religion that wants you to believe despite having no evidence, wants to, wants to keep you believing without that evidence for the sake of manipulation, which is the, 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 the antithesis, which is the counter to what it is we're describing. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, 
I agree. Yeah, all, okay. All y'all just said the same thing I said about what Nipsey Hussle said is trust the process. <laughs> That's basically what yeah. y'all saying. Trust the process. <laughs> Self realization. But we were not one hundred percent. We weren't talking to you. But I said that just to make sure that nobody thought that I was talking about spookism because I don't deal with spookism. I only deal with actual facts, actual reality. If we can't okay. science it up and bring it to, into reality, then we got to leave it on the floor. That's that's why I said uh, uh, not to not to be not to seem as though I'm promoting spookism. But I agree 100 percent with what you, what you were saying. All right, redefining so, what faith um, means to our people. Yes. Uh, 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 giving when our people, people the tools. Faith, they say spookism. Well, yeah. all right. So next <laughs> is 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 Mia uh, purpose. What is your purpose? Your purpose in life is to find your purpose in life. Purpose, according to Merriam-Webster, is something set up as an object or, a t- or end to be attained. And intention, key word, intention, from the matrix. And, yeah, you, you all know I, 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 I like matrix and I like to quote and, and refer back because I don't – it's difficult for me to watch movies and get lost in the movies because I'm always looking for something. And so I cling to movies that I find a lot of something in to pull out. Matrix is one of those movies. In there, there's a character, you know, Neo, and of course, uh, Agent Smith. Now, this is the second installment, um, Revolutions, I think, where Agent Smith is confronting Neo, and he's talking about purpose, and he says it's purpose that drives it. And I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I haven't watched it in a while and don't have it locked in there like that, but the idea is that purpose drives us, it defines us, it motivates us, it guides us, it's purpose, it defines what we do uh, uh, from here on out. Agent Smith's character had been released from the Matrix to a degree and was more or less thinking on his own or acting on his own. And he went into this hyper-reproduction mode where there was just, uh, I'm sure anybody that's seen it remember that all of a sudden there's Agent Smith and Agent Smith and Smith and Smith and they're just everywhere. And the, the takeaway from that for me was that without an intended, an intentful, conscious purpose, a person is left with an unconscious purpose. We're still going to do, but we haven't defined for ourselves con- consciously what it is we want to accomplish. So what we do becomes reactionary, becomes ob- unconscious, subconscious, and the most primal purpose that exists is to replicate or to reproduce, which is something that we absolutely do in our community, um, such as Agent Smith was doing, was just reproducing himself because that's the drive. That's the base purpose of all of life, to create more of itself. And so that is what we tend to do in our community because we have no real purpose. We haven't come to a point in our existence yet where we define that purpose outside of our careers, outside of even our family. We never ask, we're not in the habit of asking who or what has defined this purpose and why. Expression without purpose is just noise. It's just us doing something for the sake of doing something because we exist. 
which gets us into all types of, of, of issues that we see in our community. No direction, no definition. Going whichever direction somebody puts in front of us, that's the one we'll run with because it makes more sense. You know, it gives us something to do. It gives us a momentary definition, which we all want. We all, everybody, that's, a, that's another primal urge, drive, is to do something in a direction. That's why a lot of times you see a lot of us clinging to uh, uh, programs and institutions that are bigger than ourselves because it gives us something bigger than ourselves to build on, to pursue. Um, Brother Ward, you, um, we were talking earlier, um, and you were um, giving some life examples, not to go into any of those life examples, but some of the ideas that um, you were putting across in our conversation earlier today. Uh, could you pick one of those out and just briefly throw that out there to to, to build on? Uh, I do that by just War? simply going into. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I do that by just kind of going into when I when I break down the word purpose, um, and using that as as the backdrop, because as a panther, the first part of that word is per. And so. When a panther purrs, is based on the confidence and comfort that you currently have in your place of existence. And by dealing with this place of existence, we're talking about being self, time, and space as it relates to our, our walk. That walk is a walk of vision. So we can converse with our future self, and our future self goes into the pose. And when we say pose as it applies to the future self, we're basically talking about this individual that I see in, in the mirror, that inner reflection that we always talk about when we, when we say the mirror's eye. Uh, the title of our show that we often project, the mirror's eye, is just an example of purpose in itself. The point being that that person that I see in the mirror, that reflection of myself, my future self talking back to my current reality, goes into the fact that I recognize there's a path that I must be on this path of self-identity, this path of self-determination as it applies to purpose is basically knowing that we all have greatness, knowing that everything and everyone kind of going into the conversation me and he had earlier has a key, has a part to play in the development of this world and the development to give back to the earth. Only, but only when we are able to identify with nature as a whole and the universe and the world as a whole by having an existence of meaningfulness do we see that interconnection. And by seeing that interconnection, then I am able to, again, identify with my purpose in life. And as I identify with my purpose in life, it, it starts becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy of self-determination through purpose for me as an individual, for the collective. You know, and this ties all of the principles together. And as, as we go into this, you will see that every one of them basically ties together. And it creates that holistic being, that holistic personality that is able to continually contribute to the existence of humanity, of the world, and of everything. So you become a person of what, what I refer to as, as of character, a person of, of leadership, a person of vision. And as being a person of, the, of a vision, then obviously that faith that we first talked about has carried you to the next step of purpose. And as you're carried to that step of purpose, 
Now you go into what we talk about all the time, which is the three Ds. You define, develop, spin who and what you are. And going into what Syke was saying earlier about the whole wax on and wax off, wax off thing, as a, a martial artist myself, uh, or a martial scientist I refer, refer to, is a lot of times the students are unaware of the process that you're taking them through. They don't see that purpose. But obviously you, through experience and you, through your connection with the universe, your connection with your expression, your inner expression, as it applies to that physical body, which others refer to as combative routines, you know why you're teaching certain things the way you are. It goes into that muscle memory. That muscle memory that, in, in terms of the techniques, thoughts, and, and concepts that you're teaching also applies to the mental and the spiritual plane. It's not just a physical thing. So as you define purpose, as you lay out purpose, as you put people on a specific track of bettering, of bettering themselves, of, of being able to identify with their own inner purpose, a lot of times they don't trust the process. A lot of times they don't recognize their own, their, their own reflection. And that's all that is, not recognizing their own reflection, then they doubt themselves. And if they doubt themselves, then they're not going to have faith. And if they don't have faith, then they can't learn purpose. So all we're talking about is basically how one reaches into the next phase. And in that phase right there, if, if, you, if you trust the process and you deal with that phase, then it's going to give you that strength that you need to define and work on developing that purpose. As you develop that purpose, now all of a sudden this technique of, constantly hitting, hitting the tree or constantly hitting that brick and learning how you deal with that repetitive practice, but you're doing it in a slow motion. It's because you're teaching how all of that energy goes into that strike in a specific manner. That way, in a time of, of, a, of a specific crisis or in a time that you need to utilize this technique, it's already within you. And then you will apply speed automatically. And that speed, that speed that you apply will be coupled with your entire body strength. And in doing so, all of a sudden, you whipped out something that you didn't even realize you had in you at that moment in time. But through that purpose and identification with purpose, now you was able to do what you needed to do when you needed it. And so it revealed itself. Your inner strength revealed itself through your purpose. And now that you recognize that, and now that all of a sudden you impressed yourself, it gives you the power to be able to continue the walk that you need to take, which goes into the other principles that we talk about. And that's all I have to say on that one. When that brings up purpose, we're talking about it. Okay, so you ever noticed that whenever black folks do something, we're in groups. Almost always we have to be in some type of Click, whatever you want to call it, a group, a family, a gang, uh, whatever, a crew, entourage, whatever. We are a social people. We are, our existence has always been and will always tend to be a very social one. And this is kind of where we start jumping back and forth because what I'm saying now is actually going to show up again later in some of the other principles. But this communalness of African people is something that very primal for us. It's second nature. It's what we do. And one of the biggest, one of the most detrimental things that the oppressor ever did to African people could somebody mute, mute the phone? 
One of the things that the oppressor did was to divide, divide and conquer, and to convince us, going back to the concept of being an individual, an indivisible duality, of being an individual is that, 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 that distance that they created, and now social distancing, um, creating that distance amongst a group of people who identified themselves through the community. In Imani, we gain experience through studying, conversing, or conversating, whichever you want to call it, um, and learning a different perspective based on different information. And through that information, we began, we started doing what African people do, what most every group of people do, even Europeans, though they want to resist and call it something that is something else is that we begin to gain our definition and our purpose from our interaction with those around us. You know, we began to identify ourselves based on what, you know, our mother and father called us or said to us, what our uncles, what brothers and sisters, cats down the streets, how people would give us nicknames based on that. So we began defining uh, our purpose and our, our make our intentions based on how we interacted and the way those around us saw us. So having moved to a, a point where we're starting to realize that our purpose is, is so important, our intention, what is it we're wanting to do? What is it we're planning to do? What is it we're uh, proposing to do is now being drawn from a totally different set of information. Now you have the stories of Queen and Zynga, of Ursa Ma Rasa, Tepin Ra, Ranasu, Amen you know, of, of uh, Hatshepsut from Zulu, from all of these cats from all over, you know, Malcolm and, and, and the party, from all of these experiences that we now have, having done our due diligence and our studying and developed a, a sense of faith or loyalty to those ideas, to those people, to ourselves, uh, we began to redefine our purpose. We began to find our purpose, not from my ego, I want to get paid, I want to make money, but we find our purpose through our experience. If our people, that is to say, if I am hurting, how do I resolve that hurt? Is it through the amassing of material objects? Is that going to really resolve the pain, or is it just going to numb me and let me forget about it for a while? So we begin to redefine our purpose or define our purpose, because, again, we can never defined it up until this point. It's just been based on niggerness, and niggerness has no intention within the community. It has intention for the oppressor because as long as we're developing a, a, our intent based on thinking we niggers, then you automatic, systematic, remote control. We don't have to, they don't have to worry about what we're going to do. We're just going to reproduce, and that's it. But when we become conscious of our existence and our experiences, we begin to find our or find our uh, intention or our purpose through those experiences and what's best for the whole becomes best for the one and vice versa. So, uh, Psych, I don't know if you want to chime in before I move on to, to the next. Uh, just a little something. I say a, a little small something on purpose uh, <clears throat> just because I think it's so important. I think I think it's extremely important to have a purpose, and I'm going to tell this small story. Uh, when I first went to prison in 2001, and uh, well, I, actually, uh, uh, and I hadn't got all my sentences yet, and uh, 
at the time I was looking at a life sentence. I was looking at basically being away forever. And I had a celly, and this celly of mine, he had two years. And uh, at the time I had 20 and was still looking at more time. And I was laying there reading, and I was calm. And he he was one of them guys that's frantic, panicking, smoke all day, drink coffee all day. He just, he trying to find an escape. And finally one day he asked me, and I had never really thought about it until he brought it to my attention and we had a long conversation about it. But finally one day he asked me, he said, man, I only got two years, and I know for a fact I'm going home. He said, you have 20 and looking at more time, he said, and you are calm, and this two years drives me crazy. He said, how do you stay so calm? And my answer to him was because I know how I'm going to do the time. I have a purpose. I have I have a destination. He was just there. And because he was just there and wasn't doing nothing with being there, it was driving him crazy. And I had I had studied uh Malcolm, uh Mumia, uh uh Nelson, I had studied all these dudes, every everybody I could think of that had done time and was still doing time. I was looking inside their studies for a formula for the best way to do time without it driving you crazy and the, and the coming thread I found in all the brothers is that they find, they, they, they allowed themselves to attach themselves to something meaningful and they just completely focused on that. If you ever read the autobiography of Malcolm X, he'll tell you what that he developed the, the 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 need to wear glasses from sitting in his cell even after the lights had went out, reading in the dull light. So he had dedicated himself to learning and redeveloping himself and creating a better Malcolm than he was before he went to prison. Or Nelson Mandela, who had no idea when he was ever getting out. He had dedicated himself to studying and building. He had dedicated himself to that. Mamir Abu-Jamal, who's still in prison, and, and, and he dedicated himself to still teaching, doing that revolutionary teaching, even while doing that time. He won a Pulitzer Prize for his life from death row while in prison. So those things that give you give you direction. You need a purpose. A man without a purpose, life will drive me insane. And that's all I wanted to say on that. Well, I like the way you started that out by saying that you were going to say something uh, uh, and you used the phrase on purpose um, with intent, with a particular goal, expression, uh, 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 goal in, in, in mind. Um, and since we're telling stories, I remember, uh, um, I remember that day you went to report and left a, uh, a note at the house. Um, but anyway, um, that reminds me for the longest, in the back of my mind, as I came to realize over the years, there was a part of me whose intent and purpose, because I had read and studied Malcolm so much that in the back of my head, I wanted to die like Malcolm died, to be honest that standing in front of a podium, giving this information, attempting to liberate these minds, was the most noble, was the most, not even noble, that's just so bougie, but the, 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 the greatest thing that one could accomplish was to stand up to the point that you were cut down. So my purpose was to get up and bring as much heat and put it out there in the strongest manner possible to live and die the way that man died. That was my purpose, at least up until a point. And like I said, as I began to, to realize that that's what was going on with myself and, and coming up out of that, um, 
my purpose began to redefine itself. Um, so, yeah, um, you left me a note on my table, by the way, bumming money to go and report, and you were going to be back to, uh, to to give me the gas money back. You still owe me $20. That's why that popped into my head. So I want, I want, I want, I want my twenty dollars. <laughs> nah, um, all right. If nobody wants to to chime in on on um, purpose, if there's any stories or experience or what it means to you, anything along those lines, please feel free to hit that button. Um, if not, we're gonna move on to the next one, which is Kuumba creativity. And again, if you're familiar with Kwanzaa, you probably recognize that we're not going in the order of Kwanzaa or that they're typically celebrated in Kwanzaa, but um, we're running them down in a manner that for us fits with the idea of process. So, Kumba, creativity. Creativity, um, again, According to Webster, starting off with, with the basic definition so that we're all pretty much on the same page, creativity is the ability to create. Okay, so what is create? Create is essentially to bring into existence, to invest with a new form. Now, in putting this together, it occurred to me that some might kick back and someone might kick back and think produce. But there's a difference. So related, there's a difference. One is a position of power. One is more so a position of powerlessness. There's a reason that in the Bible God created. God didn't produce the heaven and the earth. They used the word created. Because to create is to come up with new forms, new ideas, new directions, or at least new to the masses, new to the realizations that have already been made real. Whereas producing, if you're sitting at your job and you're producing these widgets or these toenail clippers or whatever it is you're producing, then you're just a cog in the wheel as opposed to being the engineer, so to speak, who is creating what it is you're now producing. Creating or creativity is a direct expression of one's purpose. So as one's purpose, becomes more clear, one becomes more creative. We begin thinking in new directions. Why? Because we have new experiences to build on. Why? Because we have a different purpose that we've realized and have to come up with ways to get to that purpose. We began applying these stories and these uh, ideas to, to uh, um, uh, our own ability uh, to create. I remember being in, in high school, and my um, drama-slash-English teacher, Mrs. Rose, beautiful woman, gave me a – we had an assignment. We were to take on the persona of someone in history and write a, a biography and give a speech in front of the class. And me being the naturally rebellious type, I guess you would say, always wanting to go a direction that I knew nobody else was going to go, I guess it's the Aries in me. Um, I looked around, having never read anything black-related, having never read anything, at least consciously that I recall, dealing with the movement of the struggle, I found Malcolm X. 
when she found out that that's who I was choosing, she gave me my first book of Malcolm X speeches, which I forgot to give back to her, so I still have it. My bad. But um, I took on that role, did the class, and the more I started reading, the more I started studying what he was saying, the more I started drawing, because I was an art student, started drawing. The more pictures, the more creativity, the more I had in my head to get out. So the creativity that was a natural part of me found a new voice because it had new fuel. It had these experiences that we've read about and could draw from. I had this purpose now because, oh, I didn't know it was like this for black folks. I'd never heard any of this. I'd never, you know, known any of this. I'm a light-skinned dude, so I didn't catch a whole bunch of heat that some of the uh, browner brothers and sisters were catching, you know, day in and day out. So now that I'm seeing these, these experiences, even though they were secondhand, they were hitting me. They were a part of me. They were touching something in me, and now I had to express it. Now I had this, this art this ability to draw, to paint, or whatever that was there and had been cultivated but had nothing to say. It was just noise because it had no purpose. It had no intent. It had no experience to pull on. But as I, again, as I started reading and studying and learning based just on that one book and then others later on, I had these pictures in my head that I had to get out, that I had to express, that I had to, 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 to give to the world. And so creativity being an expression of purpose takes from the takes its inspiration and direction from the communal self to develop or to express. And this is where we get into taking that natural inborn because we're African people, so we naturally create. That's just something that's in us. It's always been in us. And as we read in history how we uh, turn the sandy area along the Nile into the most fertile areas on the planet, how we pulled pyramids from the, from, from the earth, how we created a, a, a temple that, was, that still is so divine, so perfect in its alignment with the sun and the moon and the stars, that, uh, a, a star that shines only once a year in one position. The sun comes into this particular position only one minute out of every year. And it lines up so perfectly that it shines a light down the hallway of this particular Ipit Esset or uh, uh, Holy of Holies, this, 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 uh, uh, this not, not shrine, this temple, shines a light down the hallway and gives perfect light to a statue of Osar. You know, because we had a communal experience, because we knew our work, because we knew our purpose, we were able to create, take the ideas and create heaven on earth, as above, so below. And so this is what we begin to tap into as well as express. So uh, War or, or, or Sight, did y'all want to chime in on creativity? No. War, can you hear me? Can you yes, hear me? War. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, let me go into it from, uh, you know, I like to try to throw things a, l- a little bit of a metaphysical perspective. So I want to go into it by saying, when you deal with Umbo creativity, I start off by talking about to create. Or as I said before, the inner self-realization and activity to birth creativity, which is always in the act of generating. 
This is the kinetic existence which, going into the balance of nature, or as African people know it, nature, that vibration is beyond the igniter. And a lot of times we get caught up on being the igniter, the igniter when we talk about a revolutionary act. But this is beyond an act, like you said earlier. And that is beyond the wave, so to speak. When you drop a, a like a pebble being dropped in the water and a person gets caught up in the wave. But the wave is not what's important. What's important is the ripple, which is what I have referred to in the martial science community as cycle science which is the clocking or the chain of pattern growth. So recognizing pattern growth, what we do from there in dealing with creativity, like you say, it is a forever going, forever uh, instance of perpetual growth, perpetual development, perpetual movement versus something just simply being created. So creativity is forever, it's always. It's always in, in, in motion. It's always moving. It's always uh, being ahead of yourself. That's why earlier I referred to being able to have a conversation with my future self, telling me what to do in my current state. In doing so, you, you're always seeking and you're always on that path of forever expound, expounding on who you are and what you are, and that's the creativity. So with creativity, there's no such thing as ever being in a moment like Brother Sykes said about that one cat that was locked up um, behind bars, uh, he was he was driven insane by basically his lack of of even of knowing what to do with himself of no of knowing who self is. So being in that state of a of a mental purgatory, which is what that is, being in a state of mental purgatory is is you know is is, is like hell, basically. So there was no creativity. There was no recognition of how time can be an asset, of how a condition of confinement can be an asset. And Brother Syke was well well above on that curve, recognizing is really a limitation in terms of, you know, how, how you view a situation, how you view things. And so creativity is always an expression that is forever expressing. So that creativity is what we have to, we have to make sure our, our listening audience captures. The idea is that it is a, a, a from coming from the standpoint of a verb, it is always engaging in action. It is always engaging yourself ahead of yourself. So make sure y'all pick up on that. So your future self having a conversation with your present self, always, always. So creativity becomes who you are, becomes one with you, which gives you that faith, which guides that faith through purpose. And that right there revolves right back into creativity. So every single one of these points that we talk about builds right back into the other, which also feeds and redevelops the process of life, the process of growth, the process of cycle science, as I said, back into the chain of events, back into the chain of reality, back into the chain of existence, of moving forward. So this becomes that revolutionary community that we talked about in our last episode. And it's important that people, that even if it may not seem like it at that moment in time, that you even are able to go back and listen to some of our past shows and see how we are actually building on a, a, a base of solutions by bringing forth this information. Because 
true indeed, a lot of people have went out there and talked about the Nguzu Saba. But how they broke it down, and are you listening now to how the Nguzu Saba comes into you, comes into being, comes into empowerment? This is why the Panther 48 is exposing you in a different perspective, a different shade, different layer of Nguzu Saba, the higher level of, of the application. Because everything that you take in must have a constant ongoing application. And so as we deal with the creativity, we have to see ourselves as having a constantly ongoing application of create of creating, forever creating. Never be crystallizing who you are and what you are. Therefore, purpose is always redefining itself, even if the path itself seems to be mundane to a certain degree. Have what? Faith. Have faith, again, in who you are and what you are, and that will in itself help to continually develop the ability to be creative in action, which is create in activity Phased and fused together Which gives you that creativity That's why it's important that we always go back And, and, and recognize the redefining Of a lot of the definitions You know that's why we, we keep talking about Definition, definition, definition Why do we do that? Because too often most people Have limited what defining Moments mean to them And how something being so defined Creates a stifleness In our inner creativity so if you're stifled in your de- defining of who you are and what you are and you allow others or you allow an outside force to define you, then there's no way you can be creative because your mental capacity, your spiritual capacity, and your physical capacity have been locked down. And this goes beyond anything that, you know, should be taking place with you. So the Panther 48 is expressing and exposing you to the applications of Nguzu Saba. And that's what it's all about. Knowing power comes from your ability to always engage in an application of greatness, an application of of applying your will to yourself and being able to replicate that and reproduce that in others. That's that revolutionary community we're talking about. That's what Nguzu Saba brings, brings to the table in this conversation. So this is not a mundane discussion on the quote-unquote seven principles, but this is to take you to a high level of application as it applies to the seven principles in your life. As a panther, or even if you're not quote-unquote donning the, the, the rep as a panther, the point being panther ideology exists in all of us. That's that revolutionary thing that must exist in all of us, and that is the way we're going with the Nguzu Saba. And let me stop with that. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Um, realizing purpose, not at this point with creativity, Kuumba, creativity is real, realizing purpose, the realization of purpose, not defining purpose because we've already done that. Studies and we fine-tuned and honed, okay, my purpose is this. Okay, I learned a little bit more. Let me fine-tune and hone my purpose a little bit more sharply. So creativity is not defining that purpose but realizing the purpose, not knowing the purpose but realizing it or to put it in other terms, making it real. Creativity is making your purpose, taking that, that purpose in your mind and making it real, tangible, physical, where you can touch it 
or not physical where you can actually do it, making it an action, turning your purpose from a noun to, a, to, a, to an action, to a verb, um, so that th- th- this creativity, as the brother said, feeds back into because then we start finding other ways to learn information and we start seeing things in different ways and get another lesson from, you know, step one, from Imani, and it goes through and uh, affects our purpose and comes out in our creativity uh, uh, as a different expression or a modified expression so that it develops and grows and is constantly feeding on itself. And that's the cyclical nature of all of this. It's the cyclical nature, in fact, of African people. We're not linear. Nothing about African people goes in a straight line. It's always coming back to self. It's always coming back to community. It's always coming back to what it is you thought you understood yesterday, but now you realize you didn't know Jack yesterday, and now you do. So it's this, uh, uh, this expression of what it is we've already developed and, and collected. Um, Sight, did you want to chime in real quick? No, I think y'all pretty much touched all the points on creativity. Group. I have, I have, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I have something that I want to add. But I think it applies to another principle, so I'll wait till we get there. All right, all right. So moving on to the next principle um, we're looking at now is kutijagulia, or um, self-determination. And I hate the way I say that word in Swahili because over the years I've lost much of my African tongue again, uh, having found it. It's more frustrating this time, uh, so it always sounds odd to me. Um, but self-determination, kujijagulia, kujijagulia, free choice of one's uh, own acts or states without external compulsion, determination by the people of a territorial unit of their own future political status. In other words, as Malcolm talked about, we define and control, you know, the economics and, and, and the politics and all of these things in our own community. Um, self-determination as we begin to create, as we begin to use that creativity to now define, to now not define, excuse me, but now to determine the direction in the path that was set upon. Until we begin to replace those nigger experiences, those nigger realities in our minds, the determination of our path in life is really just a collection of causes and effects. You bump into it's like a, a, a ball on a pinball machine. It bounces off the bumpers. It goes. It hits this one. It goes that way. It hits the other one. It goes that way. And that's pretty much the way we exist because we have no purpose because we're not creative because we haven't developed those things in order to get us to a point where we actually determine a path consciously outside of an external influence, i.e., at this point in our existence, uh, the oppressor. Um, And our surroundings, our surroundings determine the path of the uninitiated. I'm going to tell you this. I read an article not too long ago. I'm I'm hoping most of us are aware, familiar with the um, the app, the game, uh, Pokemon Go. so, and, and, and I never played it. I've known people that played it, so I can't really go into the details of too specifically of how it, it, the game is played. But essentially, you have a map, and it shows up a, um, a, a, a 
Pokemon character in a certain area, and you're supposed to walk or drive or whatever to this area to collect that Pokemon, like the, the card game. You, you're trying to collect all of these Pokemons or, or whatever and get the biggest collection. So in this article or in this video, it broke down. The idea online with advertisements that pop up in your feed or whatever is to get you to visit different websites, to manipulate you into going to this direction, to look at something you didn't even want to know that you wanted to look at. But now all of a sudden it's created, you know, a desire for you to go over here to this particular website. You know, we've all seen that. We uh, Hopefully we're all somewhat aware that that's what's going on, that, you know, these roadmaps are being laid out for us to, to visit these different websites. Well, Pokemon Go, come to find out, the company that did it, was actually working with not online retailers, but with actual factual physical retailers. In other words, if I owned a, 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 a I don't know, a, a Chipotle, and I wanted to drive business to my Chipotle, I would get with this company, develop a relationship, and they put a Pokemon Go from time to time, depending on how much I paid, I suppose. Uh, 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 they put a Pokemon Go near my store so that I get all of these people coming by my Chipotle. They're all aware of my Chipotle. So now we're no longer following these maps laid out in the virtual world online, but we're actually in the physical, being manipulated and controlled and pushed in these particular directions to go by this particular store. And now all of a sudden I want some Chipotle or Salmonella or whatever they're serving up at the current point in time. But when we are not aware of our purpose, when we're not creating our own pathway based on our intent and our purpose, based on our experience outside of niggadom, we are just like these folks that are playing this Pokemon. We're being led around, thinking all the time, and we love everybody, black, white, whoever, love to talk about how, not in so many words, but how, they in control, or, or they're the boss of this, or they do this because they want to. Nobody, very few people will sit back and acknowledge, yeah, I'm being manipulated and controlled on a day-to-day basis. You know, you go to a, to a pick up your child from, from daycare, and there's a FedEx box sitting outside the, the, um, the kinder care academy where you're picking your kid up. There's a FedEx box sitting there at the front door. Is that an actual delivery, or is that real-life product placement, which they do do. You know, companies will pay other companies to sit their product in eyeshot of a heavily trafficked area as advertisement. When you watch movies and TV shows and someone walks into an office and somebody's got a Dunkin' Donuts or, or uh, what's that place, Starbucks, coffee cups sitting on their desk, product placement, to manipulate and to maneuver you to control you, to get you to do what it is they want you to do. And we fall for that primarily because we have no control, we have no self-determination because we've not taken these other steps to move ourselves away from and to take control, to die on our feet rather than to live on our knees. There's a quote from, from, it's actually from Neely Fuller, but Francis Crest Wilson likes to reference it a lot because it's very, very accurate. 
until you, and that quote is, until you understand racism, white supremacy, what it is, and how it works, everything else you think you know will only serve to confuse you. People think that white folk calling us niggas is racism, but it's not. People think that these superficial aspersions and, you know, Donald Trump signs and swastikas and and Nazi salutes and and all of this are racism when they're not because we don't understand it. Because we don't understand what racism, which is uh, basically prejudice plus power, white supremacy, because we don't understand it, it manipulates and controls us, and we think that we understand it. We think that we're in control, and we don't even understand what control is. And because of that, because of the mind manipulation that's involved there, capitalism thrives. The idea that, you know, we know, and, and, and Dave Chappelle, I think, did a really good job on one of the episodes of his show where black folks got reparations. And it's cats taking their money, buying truckloads of cigarettes, hollering, I'm rich, bitch. You know, the idea being one, one of the, one of the, the, uh, the news broadcasters on, on that particular episode was uh, uh, talking about how shares of KFC or, or churches or Popeyes or whatever it was, their, their company stocks went through the roof. And, and how Cadillac all of a sudden, is, you know, they, their shares went through the roof. Because through the mind control, through the racism and white supremacy, we're operating on systematic remote control. We're not determining our own reality. We're not determining our own path because we're still operating out of that nigga mentality because we haven't replaced it and found a loyalty to our own selves. So we give our money away. You know, money circulates in the Jewish community multiple times. In the Asian community, multiple times. They buy with each other before they buy with anybody else. White folks, well, our money circulating through white communities because all communities are white communities, bottom line. But black folks, as soon as the money comes in, the money goes out because we have no purpose. We're not creative about dealing with our situation. We have no experience except that nigga experience. We have multi-billionaires. Yeah, multi-billion. We have... And, 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 and Jay-Z and, and, and all of these other cats worth multi-millions of dollars who have the ability to do movies and TV shows that present us in a positive light, yet and still they sit back and they talk about how, yeah, I couldn't make money doing that. What do you need to make money for? What can you buy with $700 million that you can't buy with $500 million, we have the know-how, some of us, to move and exist within a capitalistic society but because of racism, white supremacy, capitalism being an offshoot of that, or vice versa, depending on how you look at it. Um, those of us with, the, with, with that access don't put that money back in a meaningful way, buying turkeys and passing them out, buying bottles of water for Detroit or wherever it was they needed the water, and you know, uh, buying some Corona test or co- yeah, COVID test or whatnot, and, and to give quote unquote give back to the community ain't doing nothing. It's addressing, it's addressing the the outcome. 
the symptoms as opposed to the actual signaling because they have no real purpose other than to make money, other than to serve self, other than to blow up, get rich, and stay there. They have not embodied any of the principles. They may have read some books, but they've not taken them in and made them a part of their reality and created ways to spread that reality and realize that intention and that purpose. Through self-determination, again, going back to Kawaida, which is, um, Kawaida is a Swahili word, again, that, 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 that means tradition, um, and it's basically an African uh, cultural nationalism, uh, basically African people acknowledging, recognizing, and uniting around our cultural shared experiences. I can be on the West Coast, pour out a little liquor, go to the East Coast, pour out a little liquor. Everybody knows what that means. Everybody in the black community, maybe not the next generation coming up, I don't know, but up until my generation at least, had a connection with that, had an understanding of that. That was a part of our reality. So that's what Kawaida. And Kawaida says, tells us that we must define ourselves, name ourselves, create ourselves, and speak ourselves. And this is what self-determination is. We begin to define ourselves as community. I am, therefore you are, you are, therefore I am. We begin to find, to define community through self. It is the reality of the I as a communal. And rather than go further into that, I'll leave some of that for the next one that's uh, coming up. Um, uh, Psycho Ward, did y'all want to chime in real quick? Hey, Depending on which one you're going to next. Well, I, I, I was <laughs> just as far as self-determination, I haven't moved on yet. So yeah. it's the last one. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for the next one because mine gonna be a little long. Oh snap! Right. Okay, <laughs> I, uh, I ain't gonna ask. I just give it I to would. you. All right. So, is that war? You saying something? That's war. Yeah, they war trying to say something yeah, on determination. Yeah, let Go me ahead. jump on it. I jump on this one and and and, uh, and then I let I let y'all do most of the talking here on out. But going into the all being connected, like I keep hitting on, one of the points. Uh, on the skill levels of the Panther, which is a Panther 48 contribution to the, to the uh, Black Panther community. I want to make sure that people in my listening audience know that. The skill levels of a Panther that a lot of formations utilize came from the Panther 48. And let me just let me let y'all just build on that. But that principle that I'm speaking on now goes into the idea of salute. The idea of salute that we utilize as Panthers is size, activity, location, unit, time, and equipment, which is a borrowed military tool used to teach the soldier to always carry in the conscious mind the awareness of the environment and our connection to the all. And as a Panther, that is one of the things we get into in our critical, um, when, we, when we deal into critical, critical thinking. So dealing in critical thinking, we talk about and in tapping into the salute. So that people, so that the incoming Panthers can be appreciative of everything that's going on around them. This way, self determination can shape itself. And within that word uh, kuja that we talk about, that's actually a martial arts uh, spiritual science 
So believe it or not, that word in itself goes taps into the spiritual science realm, which is a path of warriorhood. And at this point, I want to give recognition to Grandmaster Kalindi Ia, who was the founder of the Temerian Martial Science, and introduced the community at large to the manner which is used to put us in direct contact with the inner guidance for the sake of putting you on your path. Then um, on being the utmost, of it being the utmost important that our listening, listening audience is able to truly view what is being said within the principles of Nguzu Saba. Now, why I say that we're talking, but I want you to make sure y'all are able to view what is being said and take time uh, as a gift. You hear me? Take time as a gift to build your, your vessel for being a self-determined people. The People's Black Panther Party, uh, Party Chairman Yanga is always talking about self-determination. So this is something that must be soaked upon always, always. Self-determination is something that we, you know, we is, is important and we always build upon as a People's Black Panther Party. To us, that is a phrase that we attach to our name, self-determined, for the, same, for the simple point of the fact that that principle itself is going into the realm of the greatness of what Panther ideology is, the greatness of being a visionary, being a pathfinder, being a person of kinetic always action, which is that creativity that we spoke on earlier. This is a person this is a person as it applies to purpose is always full of purpose. So much so that what they do is they tap into the next generation and make sure that they see that generation with a foundation of what? Purpose. Of what? Creativity. Of what? Faith in inner self. Of what? self being self-determined and if nothing else that platform that being the foundational platform that's laid that person will be able to apply the panther ideology principles on everything that they do everything that they touch and I think that's just important as it as, as it goes into the concept of uh, being being self-determined and again I want to give thanks to Grandmaster Kalindiya as being one of the one of one of the people that exposed me and put me on a path of self determination as it applies to martial science. But that's all I got to say on that one. Well, let let me add on right quick, brother, to the self determination. It's hard for me to let this one pass by without saying just a little something on it. And I think <clears throat> just a little something. I think it's very important to understand, especially for people that's coming out of. Uh, uh, a, a captive condition. I think it's very important to understand self-determination, and it's, it means to name yourself, as you explained earlier, to name your, to give yourself names. And that ain't just saying names in the sense of your personal name, but names in the sense of your group name. I remember one time uh, Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad, he was said, I can't remember if it was a, in a speech, in, a, uh, in an interview, but he was saying black people are the, are the most confused people on the earth, on the planet earth. He say some of them you say I'm an African. Some say man I ain't no African. I'm an Afro American. Some say I'm an African American. Some say man I'm black. Some say man I'm a Negro. Man, man I ain't none of that stuff. I'm just a nigger. You know, with all these different names that you've been given over time, it it it, it becomes extremely important to understand that when you're trying to liberate yourself physically, you got to liberate yourself mentally, and you have to question every 
single ideal and concept that you have been given that you never question. You have to take our time to sit back and ask. One time I was having a conversation with a brother, and we were talking. And as we talked, I kept touching my chest when I when I talked about how I felt. And the brother asked me, you know, he was an older brother. He said, uh, why do you keep touching your chest? And I said, what? You know, why do you keep touching your chest? It was an unconscious act. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I was talking about my feelings, so automatically maybe I saw a point at the source of my feelings. And he told me, he said, your feelings don't come from your heart. And I said, yeah, do Everybody know that. He said, no, ain't no emotions in your heart. Your emotions are in your brain. I said, man, you're talking crazy. Then he asked me, he said, have you ever studied this? I mean, no, I don't have to study it. Everybody know it. How do you know it? Where did you get it from? He said, have you ever even questioned it? And so me being the type of person I am, I went and did the research on biology and came to realize that everything we feel comes from the brain. And the only reason we start thinking it came from the heart is because those hormones uh, uh, travel through the body, through the bloodstream, and it goes through the heart, and that's why you get that particular feeling in the heart. But it comes from the brain. And I say that to say this, most of the things that we believe in life have just been programmed into our thinking. And we have to question, I said, just like he used the concept of the matrix earlier. We have to question these things. I remember many times when I was in prison, I had debates with brothers about the Bible, and they'd offer me down and tell me, man, I know it's an apple. I said, so you telling me that you read in your Bible that Adam and Eve ate an apple? He said, yeah. I said, show it to me. You show it to me. You show that to me. I bet you 100 pushes you can't show it to me. He go to every version of the Bible he can come up with, the new, the new version, the new King James version, the new version with little flip on the remix. He can't find it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nowhere he can find it. You know, and that's because he's never questioned the ideals that have been passed down to him. So that's what self-determination is about. You have to determine. It's about being free. You've got to make a determination to be free and to start questioning some of these ideas we've been given. And that's all I have to say on that. Word. Um, tell me which which one is it you wanted to go in on, so that I can make well, my time. It, it, well, it, it, <laughs> uh, go ahead, brother. Take out, take out. Uh, I'm gonna we, I'm gonna weave in on the next one. Okay, all right. Um, so the next one is gonna is gonna be uh, Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Um, I figured this was it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Um, so what made the Black Panther Party, according to Gay Edgar Hoover, public enemy number one, was the collective work and responsibility. It was specifically the children's program, the Feed the Children's Program is, is what he named. But generally speaking, the collective work and responsibility, because it was beginning to take uh, 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 all of this creativity and all of this purpose and self-determination and express it. Ujima, just as these others are expressions of the ones before it, Ujima, collective work and responsibility is, is an expression of self-determination because now we're determined on this path that the more we study, the more we grow, the more we start to see that we, we, people love to talk about, I'm unique this, I'm unique that. You're not unique. You just like everybody else, and the more we study, and the more we see that that's not a bad thing. That it's a, actually something that works to our benefit to realize that we are the same people. That you and I are the same. That we have these connections 
and that we can build on those connections to better our situation. I just want to give a couple of definitions that I know people typically have a misconception of in terms of collective work and responsibility. Socialism is one. It's a word that's thrown around that's got this dogma, oh, that's, that's socialist. I don't want to do socialist, blah, 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 when the reality of it is there are uh, uh, several organizations within the U.S. that are socialist in nature. Uh, the police used to be uh, uh, individually owned and regulated. The fire department, if you've ever watched the, the movie The Gangs of New York, the fire department where you had to pay these cats in order for them to come out to your house to put out a fire, and there would be multiple uh, groups of them. And if you hadn't paid anybody, they may show up at the scene, stand there, and watch your house burn down because you hadn't paid for it. They became socialized so that essentially in this country, which socialism is not, the government began owning it and regulating it. But socialism actually is a political and economic theory of social organization, which um, advocates for the, the, the means of production, distribution, and exchange are owned and regulated by the community as a whole. There's a company in Spain um, that the workers own the company, literally. When the supervisor comes up for a review, the employees give that review. If he's been talking bad and acting foolish the way we know supervisors have a tendency to do in this country, the employees have an opportunity to say, you up out of here. If there's a new contract that's offered up to the company, the employees get together, they discuss it, they have things run down to them, they vote and decide whether or not to take that new contract. That's socialism, not what we see, what's given to us and told. What we're told of socialism is usually government capitalism. Government takes over these companies and starts to reap the profit. That's not what socialism is. A step beyond that is communalism, which is real socialism even further, and is an African concept because it's the principle and practice of living together and sharing the possessions and responsibilities to the degree that this community garden, so to speak, is not your garden. It's our garden. We take care of it. We put into it, and we reap the benefits. These are the... The physical manifestations and applications to current events of our historic realities that we've now established through our loyalty, having studied and learned and researched, now we're able to apply all of these things in an external, you know, it starts to become um, uh, from your own personal self-determination, now you get into the communal where you're reaching out and you're taking and lining up your uh, uh, your your path, your your purpose and your determination is to take those and align them with other like-minded folks, and we begin to group and come together as collectives to do work and responsibility. I'm going to cut it off there so, Psych, you can go and ramp it. Go ahead, bro. But you say go ramp it, but... Go, go in. Go ahead. All right. Uh, you got about 12 minutes. Well, all right. I'm going to make the, I'm going to make the point. Uh, you give me 12 minutes to do it. But... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> You know, when we started this conversation, there's one thing that, that came to my mind, and there's one thing that I had to constantly go over with, with every time we talked this new concept to new brothers in prison, I, uh, I started introducing brothers to Price and Corns and to the principles, and it helped brothers come together, real tough, have them come together. And, but one common question that was always asked, was always asked, why are we practicing an African thing. Why are we using African word? We're not Africans. Africans don't even like us. You know, that was one common thing that I always heard. And so I thought it would be 
instructive to clarify that and get an understanding of that viewpoint. Because uh, uh, one thing that we have to understand is this, is that when the original people on the planet Earth came out of Africa, all humanity came out of Africa and then spread over the entire globe. So by, by that right in its own, every human on the planet Earth is African. So, so and it's kind of a quote that uh, Dr. Khalid said also. He said that, uh, he said, uh, that Africa is not, he said, 196,940,000 square miles of the planet Earth is our home. 11.7 million square miles of Africa is the throne that we ruled our home from. So our home is the planet Earth. And every human being on the planet descended from Africa. Now we got to understand that when people from Africa were taken as slaves, Africa wasn't just left alone. They didn't just take slaves from Africa and take those slaves to every other place across the planet and then leave Africa alone. Africa was taken too, just like America was taken. And Africa was divided up into an extraordinarily huge colonial pie. Different groups of Europeans took different parts of Africa. That's why certain parts of Africa, they speak certain languages. Zaire, they speak French. That's why certain parts of Africa, they speak they even speak Spanish. If you, under, if you understand, look at, uh, look at South Africa, where they speak a, a, a mixed-up, made-up language that they call Afrikaners. But uh, different European groups took Africa, cut Africa up, and then they, they colonized Africa, and they colonized the people. And the same way people of African descent was miseducated here in America, it's the same way people in Africa was miseducated over there. It's ironic that people from America had actually taken many teachings and education and African ideas and concepts back to Africa because people in African people in America had a greater uh, access to education than even people right there in Africa because that's how underdeveloped, disenfranchised, and, uh, and miseducated Africa had been made and, and made so backward. So that's one thing we have to understand. Two, we have to understand that, yes, we're, we're African people, and African people Africans don't hate us, but Africans hate this. And I used to sit with a brother, and I'm going to make it short. I'm going to try to make it short. I used to sit with an African cat in prison. He was a guard, and his name was Begimbe. It was a, it's a lot of African guards inside the prison. And uh, that's one of the things that brothers point at in prison, how, how mean Africans are toward them and how they don't like them. But one of the things that I think they miss is that Africans, don't uh, the reason why Africans are so mean towards them is because they talk about Africans and they talk about Africans. Think about it: if you from if you from the east side of Fort Worth and you've been from the east side of Fort Worth your entire life, and then you meet somebody that you know is from the east side of Fort Worth, and he talks about how trash the east side of I ain't from the east side of Fort Worth. I'm from California. I'm not from Fort Worth. He talks bad about the east side of Fort Worth. You're not gonna like that guy either. And, and, and Begimbe, he was teaching me math in prison. And we were sitting with each other one day, and I asked him, I say, I asked him, why do Africans hate black people in America? That's what I asked him. And Begimbe told me, he said, we do not hate y'all. He said, we hate the fact that y'all hate us. He said, we look at y'all, and he said, look at how many people talk about me and tell me to go chase a zebra and call me an African booty scratcher and, and talk about my the way I talk, the way I speak, my, the accent that I have. He saying it's always coming from the blacks. He said, so how what would you think about a group of people that you know are, are from with you that don't even like you? 
how would you feel about that? That's what the brother told me. And I think that that, that, that understanding needs to be made. And when, uh, when Malcolm X went to the Africa, they called him, uh, what was the name? Do you remember the name that they gave the brother? Omawale? Yeah, uh, was that it? Omawale. Brother Omawale. has come home. The brother has come home. And they loved the brother. The difference in it was because Malcolm was a brother that was conscious of who he was, his culture, and he, and he embraced it. The average Negro wouldn't have had that type of embracement. When Muhammad Ali went to Africa, they carried the brother. They, they loved the brother, walked through the streets with the brother. When, uh, was it, was it uh, Louis Armstrong, one of them jazz players, went to Africa, they carried that brother through the streets in a, in a, on a throne. So they, they embraced and loved everybody, even brothers like uh, – uh, 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 even brothers like Suka Ture, Kwame and Kuma, they came here to America, joined the, the uh, UNIA, the United Negro Improvement Association, studied under the teachings of Marcus Garvey, and then went back to Africa to attempt to liberate their country. So we have to understand that there has always been that cultural tie between Africans in the diaspora, or what you call African Americans, and motherland Africans, brothers and sisters that were still there. We have to understand that there is no break in that. There's no there's no separation in who and what we are. There's only a separation in the false and, and uh miseducation that we've been given. And I just wanted to make that point and, and this when it talks when it applies to quarantine and Guzu Saba and the seven principles. While Melana Karinga gave us the Nguzu Saba or brought it to our attention, it was not a traditional African holiday or celebration. He got it from the, uh, the African harvest celebration. When the new harvest came in, in many different places in Africa, they had they had uh, a seven day long, a nine day long, a ten day long celebration for giving thanks to the creative energies of the universe for bringing in a good and proper harvest. So what he did is he took principles that he felt was universal, and he and he applied that cele- that that concept of that celebration to those principles to. Uh, and he took the celebration, and our harvest is not corn and, and apples or watermelon, but the harvest is the good works of the good character and the, and the raising up, lifting up a free community that practicing these principles would give us. So this is where these things come from, and this is why these things are so powerful. And I think I just wanted to make those points to get into a, just a little bit of clarity on that because we have to understand that, that everybody that comes into this information has not been conscious for 10, 15, or 20 years. Everybody has not, has not done the studies and, the, and done the reading, and, and our, uh, our captain was extremely intelligent and wise in, in, in the divide and, con- divide and conquer strategy. So a lot of times we'll look at these things, and we need to understand this, that why African kings did participate in the sale of African people in slavery they did not really benefit from it because sometime, and, and, and that's only makes up 15 to 20 percent of the slave trade, it should be understood that the majority was, was uh, 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 in Africa when you understand slavery or you understand uh, captivity, just like prison here. When it, if you owe the debt, I, let's say I got you for eight years, and let's say I'm, I meet a new guy and I'm going to trade with this new guy, and I got eight years left on your sentence, and I'd be like, hey, but let me get, let me get that boat. And I, I got a servant here, but, you know, he's only serving for, to me for another eight years. So you would have him for eight years. Eight years of good work is a good man. All right, I agree. So he would, he would take this servant, but 
what, what the king did not know and what the servant did not know, that that eight years became infinity. Not only did it become to, the, to you died, it became to your children died, and your children's children died. And by the time they woke up, they themselves woke up in the hull of a slave ship themselves. Sometimes they would take a drink to celebrate the transaction, get, take another drink and another drink, and would pass out, and they would wake up right next to the servant that they sold. And they'd be like, oh, hell, so you're not a king anymore. You're a slave. So this is the slave trade. So don't, 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 we can't never allow anybody to trick us to believe that, oh, well, you sold yourself. So the, so the responsibility is not on me. Don't ever fall for these tricks. These are tricks and these are slanders that we have to wake up. We have to be conscious. We have to be self-determined. And we have to make as our collective responsibility, our collective working responsibility to bring this truth to light and rebuild our communities in the best, most creative ways we know how. And I'm done. In less than 12 minutes, I hope. You got it. You got it. But, but, well, you know, you when you put it on the table, it, 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 it's open to be stepped on. It's open to be checked. So, man, get prepare out there. To be get checked. out there. When yep. you uh, went into your, your dissertation, when you went in and started explaining your point, you said something that just made my skin crawl. You said that the Europeans didn't take, uh, they took slaves from Africa and did such and such. They didn't just take slaves from Africa and do such and such. They took slaves from Africa and did such and such. They did not take slaves from Africa. They took two Africans two from Africa two. and enslaved them and, and created what we see. Now those two Africans indeed. that were were brought here and everywhere else around the world when they got when we got here, we had children and those children were Africans because the parents were African. So those children yeah. grew up, got together, had some children, those children were African. And That's those children grew up, had children, they were African and so on down the line until you get us today. Nothing in our history ever cut that line, ever severed that line, ever made it so that all of a sudden this is a, a new something. We're the same people that were brought here. The only thing that's changed is that, like you said, some of us want to call We've had every name under the sun defined by somebody else, and that's intentional to keep us from being, uh, from, from having a mindset. It starts out, our experience, our niggerdom is this confusion over what it is we're supposed to call ourselves. Very basic, very simple. We hear all of these different terms. That's why with my children, I attempted to instill in them from day one, we are African, period. No more conversation, nothing else beyond. We're African, day one. This is where we're going to begin our definition. It's calling us what we are and getting back to it. That ties us back into a history that goes beyond in slavery and whatnot. And, yes, I agree. African people that have gone back, take Muhammad Ali, you know, Ali, Bumbaye, they love Muhammad Ali not just for his stardom, but because of his uh, uh, stance politically, his, his resistance to, to, to certain things and who he was aligning himself with. Um, Richard Pryor, when he went to Africa, and he, he said he recalled standing in, in, in a hotel room and looking around and saying to himself that he don't see no niggas. He didn't see a single nigger the whole time he was in Africa. He saw Africans doing this and being uh, running the politics and running the economy and running this every aspect of life there, but he saw no niggers. And it made so much of an impact on him that he vowed to never use that word again and didn't. And that was even uh, shored up after his death by um, uh, Paul Mooney, who was a close friend and, and writer for, for Richard Pryor for years. He talked about in some of his stand-up 
how Richard Pryor came to a point where he didn't want to use the word anymore. Paul Mooney was like, nah, I'm still using the word nigga. I'm nigga this, nigga, 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 nigga. But Richard Pryor, having gone to Africa and seen Africans and the lack of niggas, couldn't use that word anymore. And my personal experience to build on what you were saying is that, yeah, I, when, when I meet a brother or sister who I can tell is from the continent, one of the things I try to do is I don't know it right off how to say hello or something simple in their own language, I go and look it up. But generally, if you just know how to say, you know, a barigani or, or jambo or, or something where you are letting them know, you know who they really are. You identify with their experience and their culture as your own. They automatically open up. They automatically bring you in and get this smile on their face, and you have a whole new relationship. And that's the relationship that we wanted to build with sisters and brothers through what it is we're doing. Um, unfortunately, tonight, we're not going to have time to go through all of the principles, but that's okay. This is what we wanted. We wanted to build. We wanted to, to, to have an outgrowth, better too much conversation and not enough. So as far as the conversation is concerned, sisters and brothers, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. The, uh, the full audio, if you tune in late, it's available online. Um, you can contact us. We'll give you the, the link if you want to hear the first half of the show. But other than that, I am an African. I am an African. Typical lines. With it comes tradition and religion. You sit there with expectations of rich soil, beautiful grasslands, people with extreme African dark tans. Well, I have concrete and pits of sand. Milky skin surrounding me, my stars move with flight. And out of my townhouse windows, I see them then quickly out of sight. Clicks and beats you desire to roll off my tongue, but instead you hear evidence of previous colonies formed by British sons. You desire my eyes to see some drum magazine, but I'm holding my fair lady. Similarly, I'll ignore generations for glee. My plate is not filled with stamp and beans, but sushi, beef fillets, all trimmed and lean, close to Master Chef's regime. I chuckle as my fellow shaded brothers and sisters say, I tell them to translate what they convey. The mockery continues in Vernac. It's like a membership in the Black United community is what I lack. Am I not an African too? Has my upbringing in the suburbs made me lose my roots? I've lost my label of black and a coconut is what I've been tagged. But today, I refuse to allow your pencil to draw a picture of who I am, for I am as African as the music and life, the beat, the melody and the tune. I have a twinkle in my eye that reflects the sub-Saharan moon. I am a daughter of this land. I am a child of Azania. I love my country and I celebrate my modern culture. So today, I remove these limitations and I claim my identity back because an African is exactly what I am.